You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, why wouldn't you? And actually, it's, I actually, I mean, I more, I more or less want them for the girls than for me, because it's funny because we do have a little, um, we've got a, uh, this book that was, that was from a uh, library clean out, apparently Random House and Marvel did a series of books that were, that they looked like they were based on the 90s cartoon that everything is, is narrated. So it's not just comic books because it's hard to read comic books to kids because all it is is dialogue and if they're not really looking at the pictures and they don't really understand what's going on it's it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not a lot of fun to read and to be honest some com some of the comic dialogue from the 90s is really quite terrible um and it's particularly things that are, are based on the cartoon because you've got to get around um standards and practices like like you can't say kill or dead or well you might I think you can say dead. I think but, you couldn't even shoot anyone. I mean you could shoot them like with laser beams and yeah, you stuff could shoot like them that. Yeah, lasers. Yeah, guns uh weren't you couldn't draw a gun that was realistic. It had to be something that was just crazy. Um that's part of the reason Cable had I don't remember do you remember Cable? Yeah, I remember him. It, it like that's part of the reason that he had those crazy and Bishop too had those crazy guns that were all just weird shaped. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's part of the reason that, but, but it really influenced the dialogue because you couldn't say certain things. It's actually uh, interesting because there's a, there's a series, one of the earlier series with the new mutants where they go to like one, they wind up going to one of the realms of hell. They go to limbo and that's light and fluffy yeah yeah i mean they weren't made for kids anyone who thinks that comics are made for kids have never read comics in their lives either that or they've read like archie or uh, garfield or something which that's what was at our house that's what was at our house growing up but now uh so they do they go to limbo and they were talking about they they were talking about had the 90s comic continued would they have gone into the I think they called it the Inferno uh, storyline. And because I listened to another podcast that's basically, uh, it's all about X-Men. It's trying to unravel all the continuity issues and things like that. And it's a lot of fun. Well, we used to do that. I can remember going over the origins of Wolverine on the, the table at, I think it was like Garfield's where they had the paper and oh, the yeah. crayons. <laughs> and we had like a whole big thing you know, where they could take the storyline so yeah it was a lot of fun little a little nerdy there yeah so we we did a lot of that um but no i want it for the girls because we've got that book and and my two-year-old knows on site like she knows rogue and storm and beast and wolverine and cyclops so it's it's kind of fun um has she met nightcrawler yet because he's my favorite uh no uh nightcrawler's not in that he was actually he was not very prevalent in the in the series um, well, he was he was prevalent in the in the comic book. He was more of a central character, but in in the TV series, I think he was only in for one episode. 
Just just a few, and that was because of Mystique being his mom. So right. I think they kind of didn't know it. that. Spoilers. If they don't know it by now, what this is 20, 30 years later. <laughs> so true. sorry. But um, but yeah, uh, he was he was a much bigger player. Um, one thing I found was interesting is apparently he was originally pitched to uh, DC to be a DC character, and uh, the 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 character design and everything was exactly the same. Um, but that was a lot of fun uh, hearing that. But he the, apparently DC didn't want him for the story they were at, so the artist who drew him uh, pitched him to Marvel, and and Marvel loved him and put him right on the X Men team. Yeah, I think I think he's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to play with with the symbolism of how he looks and well, all yeah, of that that and the fact that he's he's very religious uh, also changes things. Covered in angelic script. That's only in the movies, I think. I'm pretty sure that that's not in the comic book. Well, that would make a hard thing to illustrate. I mean, it would really clutter up the picture. So, yeah, apparently, uh, the people who draw Spider-Man regularly um, have to love drawing him because the you know, all the intricate webbing. Uh, apparently there's, I've actually got some comic book friends who had to, had to do some work and like, I hate drawing Spider-Man because every time you have to draw every little bit of webbing. Um, because the fans are on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. The fans will, will, will be all over that if you mess it up and then it'll be a collector's item. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, now that we've kind of gone on about uh, our Marvel fanaticism so which is only the tip of the iceberg yeah well that's just that's just talking about why i want some fun toys for my kids because um i I don't know i may not want to tell anyone in this but if you're into some some classic marvel toys you can either buy them in the package uh, for lots of money or you can uh you can find people who have unboxed lots of them on on ebay where they basically come out to about 50 cents per toy a uh, dollar per toy, depending on on the the selection, and but the box sets are like astronomical now. I'm I'm kicking myself from the days of working in retail when they were on on clearance and you could buy them for two or three dollars a piece. Yeah, yeah. The Nightcrawler toy that that we had uh, is now I think I think we bought it for on clearance for five bucks, and now it's if you have one new in the package, they're going for like sixty dollars. Yeah, and give it twenty years, and you've got your retirement. Uh, probably not. Yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to retire in Nightcrawler alone. But if you had a, uh, if you had invested in, in some of these toys, because it was actually the early 2000s, late 90s was a really big toy bust um, or boom rather, uh, with all the movies coming out, and uh, particularly Star Wars and and everyone at the time who had seen the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s toys mm-hmm. from the past. Um, I know Star Wars was not 60s, but Everyone had seen all these toys now become collector's items. We're going, well, no one's going to be collecting these toys because everyone's on the bandwagon and there's there's more people who are going to be hoarding them now, hoping they'll go up. And so they're not going to ever be as valuable. And that may be true. They may not ever be as valuable, but there is definitely a, an increase in their value. And so I'm kind of I'm kind of going, maybe I should every now and then just go buy something Something that's popular. Yeah, something that's popular, throw it in the attic and see what happens in 20 years. Well, and uh, that's really funny. If you watch uh, Netflix has the series out, The Toys That Made Us, which kind of goes into that. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, that's a fun show to watch. And particularly, I think the Star Wars and I think um, He-Man Masters of the Universe was one of their more 
interesting episodes that, too. That actually was that was a very interesting episode. So I'm I'm hoping they do another season of that and cover another franchise. I I, I liked the the Star Wars and the Star Trek lines hearing about uh just their their struggle to get manufacturers and 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 the way the contracts work was was pretty interesting to me. Oh, it's it's wild. And when you when you hear some of the the faux pas that were committed and you think, oh my goodness, uh several more people could be millionaires today who weren't but anyhow that's all the lessons of history i guess yeah so yeah it's yeah we're a couple nerds stuff like that is it to us is very interesting so anyway um so what are, what are we talking about today we're keeping it light and fluffy with divorce divorce well that seems like an odd odd topic for episode two of a show uh, but we do have our reasons um, I actually approached Emily about this one. We wanted to do divorce because um, the main the the main reason is uh, Emily uh, has been divorced in the past, and we know that. And I know from uh, reading comments and criticisms of another Christian podcast, um, a particular Reform uh, podcast, one of the hosts she is divorced, and she uh, she took a lot of flack um, for it. And so we wanted to just address that right up front and, and get that out of the way about, uh, for one, even, I mean, we're not going to get too much into women teaching because Emily's here, we're talking Bible, <laughs> but um, why we feel like it's okay for us to do this um, with someone who is divorced and uh, why I have not completely shunned my sister uh, from my life. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I figured, figured it'd make family reunions and holidays a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, Christmas is a lot more joyful since I'm included. Thank you. Or maybe not thank you. Um, Christmas holidays are not mine and Nathan's thing, and we are like the two in the entire family who are not all big on holidays. So, yeah, it, 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 we could do without them. Just let's get together and eat and enjoy each other, and that's good enough. Yep. So Kill turkey. Eat a turkey. That's what we want. Pretty much. So... That being said, um, yeah, we're going to cover divorce just to, like I said, get that out of the way. And also, um, this is a question that, um, for those of you who don't know, um, Emily, I don't know if we covered it in the last episode. Emily is uh, one of the, she started a group called Scandalous, which is a, a group for women, Christian women, who um, are facing um, relationship issues, I guess you say. Well, really have, women who have any kind of question about, you know, physiology, biology, relationships, however you want to phrase it. Uh, it's just about being a woman because women, we're always in a state of flux, uh, biologically, mentally, emotionally. It, you just can't escape it. And so we need people who can weigh in on those topics. But a lot of times we wind up going uh, over things about relationships and marriage and divorce and dating just because trying to find some really good, hard and fast answers that we can root to the Bible, that's not always an easy thing to do. Right. And you... you so you're saying basically this group is about, you know, maybe the older women teaching the younger women? Yes, but we desperately need more older women. I, um, I would love to have more older women. Well, and, and I, I say older, but not necessarily older, but maybe more experienced, but, you know, maybe Absolutely. doing like Paul says. And, and Titus too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we are actually trying to to do some things that are scripturally oriented, but we have a lot of fun and... Because the content we're dealing with is sensitive, we tend to be a little irreverent because it's easier to be uh, open about things when you can laugh and joke and maybe make some mm -hmm. um, 
I would say crude. I mean, sometimes we do cross that line. So it's not a group for the faint of heart, but it is a group where you can be very real. Right. And, and, it, and it is women only, so you can uh, feel comfortable talking about anything in there. Um, I'm not even in that group. Um, so <laughs> thank um, you. Yeah. But yeah. So just so that you're aware, uh, that's where Emily gets a lot of questions about this topic. So we thought, you know, we're kind of kind of kill two birds with one stone here and really cover that and see yeah. where it goes. Yeah. So, you know, when you bring up divorce, the first thing that you, you get told is Malachi 216. And if I forget numbers, guys, that's just me. You're just going to bear with me. But Malachi 216, and everybody quotes one line from that verse, God hates divorce. And I look through all different kinds of translations, all different uh, versions of the Bible. And King James kind of comes close with God hates the putting away. And I think it was the Good News Bible that says God hates divorce, but no other version had that. And so when we read out of the Bible, a lot of times we're looking at the ESV. And uh, I like that version because it's a lot closer to the original languages. I can tell you how close it is. It's the version I used to cheat whenever I was in seminary and didn't have time <laughs> to do all my translations. So that, that tells you how close this is. When my, when my profs didn't pick up on that, I don't know if I should admit that, but I think it's a pretty good litmus test. So, Are they going to take your degree away? Probably not. Um, but, you know, let's just hope none of them are listening. So anyway, so I just want to read this. this is Although the, if they do that, will they repay your student loans? Hey, I can go for that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me hope and then rip it away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm going to read um, Malachi 2.16. It says, For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord. The Lord God of Israel covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So the idea here is that a man who is divorcing his wife is committing violence. It, it, it's not that God hates divorce. I mean, that's not what the, the text says for the man who does not love his wife. That's a horrible thing. If you don't love your wife, that's an act of violence. So divorce is violent. God speaks to that. But at the same time, I don't think, I don't see God hating divorce. That, that's kind of a misrepresentation of the text. And I think that's the first thing we got to say, hey, if we're going to quote Bible, we need to be quoting Bible accurately. So Nathan and I will, a lot of times we'll talk about verses that people like to rip out of context or mm -hmm. quote in, impartially. So if you get hit with that one, that's my first thing of advice. Ask people, have you actually read that verse? And so, but then we also have to consider some other verses and it's kind of back up and make her point. Um, the first thing that the Bible talks about divorce is in Deuteronomy when it's specifically mentioned, it's Deuteronomy 24, one through four. And those are the rules on divorce. And what impresses me isn't so much that there's rules, you know, what the rules specifically have to say, but the fact that God actually gave us rules from divorce uh, or on divorce. And this is when Moses is at Sinai. This is when they, they're coming out with the Ten Commandments. And God includes this in the Torah. And it is part of his perfect law. Right. So, so, um, so yeah, but because of, uh, I want to just kind of backtrack a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, when we talk about, you know, verses out of context, things like that, 
one of the reasons that one of the things that leads to is a lot of stigmatizing of divorce in mm-hmm. the church. Um, even though it's more common, more public than it used to be, it's still very, uh, it's looked down on. Um, yeah, because how many people get a divorce and then leave the church? Right, right. And that was actually um, part of our experience growing up. Uh, we had a, a, you know, in small town USA, we grew up uh, in, a, in a little place this tiny church, maybe about, what, 100, 150 people on the rolls? Well, probably about 300 on the rolls, but 150 regular attendants. Okay. And a, a town of 600. Yeah. With eight churches. Right. So. So we, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, divorce was kind of unheard of uh, to, to go on. We knew people outside the church who had been divorced, but people inside our church, it, it never happened. And then. I think I can remember two divorces in the entire time of growing up, and one of them reconciled, so it was kind of brushed under the rug. So. Right. But when uh, when one of the families that went there, when there was divorce, I mean, we were told, don't talk about it, don't don't mention it, you know, it's rude to, to talk about these things, and it was kind of the general attitude, and the the family, actually, they did wind up, they quit going, and I think a lot of that was just because of all the side eyes and suspicion that, that went on with, uh, with divorce, because, you know, in, in my mind, our church, you know, divorce is something that happens to bad people. And so I, I kind of was wondering, you know, well, what's, what's going on with our church? Why, uh, who, who is, who send in our church that someone's getting divorced? And, uh, the answer, uh, largely, uh, probably was the husband <laughs> right. of, of the, the family. And so it wasn't something necessarily, you know, it, it it wasn't something that that we openly discussed, and and there was a large amount of shame that that came with it. Because I remember when I was thinking about getting a divorce and feeling trapped that that might be my only option. I stayed longer than I should have because I didn't want to be that woman. Mm-hmm. I had heard how other people in the church had talked about divorced women. Uh, funnily enough, and I won't go too far into this. They talked this way about the women, but they didn't talk about the men. And right. so I, I didn't want to be that woman, and I stayed. And it wound up actually putting me in a situation where I could have been killed. I was almost killed. Right. And that's, that's a sad s- statement when the church is putting people in life and death situations, all because we're scared of this thing called divorce and we're labeling it as sin. Right. Now, and and at, the, at the time uh, when, when you were having all your marital issues, I was— 13, 14, and still had no idea how much of the world worked. So I had no idea how bad things were getting in your house. I didn't realize until you called me one morning. I was like, hey, I need you to bring the truck. I'm going to, we're going to pack up all my things and I'm getting out of here. And well, and because I kept it covered because you don't humiliate your husband in public. You don't air your dirty laundry. So I didn't let people know how bad it was because I was, again, not going to be that woman. Right. And, and so. It was actually, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, during that time, uh, you know, I made the joke earlier that, you know, I have not uh, alienated you and, you know, cut you out of my life. That was actually uh, some of the questions that came to mind was like, well, does this mean that my sister's not a, a good Christian? Does this mean that she's not a good person? Come to find out, it meant that her husband was not a good person. Um, you know, that that's a whole nother thing that's that's your side of the story but for me you know i had to wrestle with these issues of of what does this mean is this 
put a, a black mark on our family that someone's been divorced. And then, uh, you know, a couple years after, I guess not a couple years, but a couple months after all this, I found out that actually our father had been divorced before, uh, my mom and before our mom and him got married. And that just blew my mind because it was, she was ne- the, the first wife never. was never, ever mentioned. And, you know, there were no kids uh, from that marriage. So there was there was no uh, interaction, you know, with custody, anything like that. So that that was able to to keep, you know, that situation kept us from having to interact with her. But it was just it was never, ever mentioned. And it, and it blew my mind. And it, it really. I mean. Kind of changed my perspective on the world, but I, I did have to do some study and some research and some thinking. Fortunately, at the time, uh, the church we were at was actually doing a series on divorce um, shortly after uh, you and your husband split up. And so that really uh, helped out quite a bit on for me. Oh, well, it, about it. it helped me get some perspective, too, because, you, you know, it wasn't the two reasons I stayed were because one, I did think divorce was a sin and two, I thought that I was going to be that woman. And so those kind of played off each other. And so to have a biblical perspective that did not condemn me for trying to keep myself alive, to keep my children safe, that was kind of mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And because it's so counter to everything we're taught, because honestly, a lot of the things we're taught in Christian circles if you listen to any of the prominent voices, and I'm going to name names, John Piper or MacArthur, these guys say horrible, horrible things to women who are in abusive marriages. Just stay and, and endure and suck it up and deal. And it, these are awful things to say to women whose lives are on the line. And Well, and, and, and because of, of, the, of this, the, what we went through in the, the small-town church and small-town society in general— um, I kind of worked to kind of distance, my, distance myself from churches who kind of took that bit of culture and, and then grafted it back onto the scriptures in a, in a way. And so for me, I'd, I'd really stepped away from that. And within the last couple of years, um, through Emily, uh, she doesn't ever just, you know, she doesn't ever share names, but she'll kind of mention some scenarios and some questions and things that she gets to me. And I'm going, Oh my goodness! There are still churches out there that are that are teaching this because it's really really easy that if you're not in that culture to realize to to forget that that goes on, and so um we one like Emily said Piper has um a quote about it and um man we will put a so link to this we, so we'll, you don't have to trust us yeah we'll this. put a link to these in the show notes and so Emily you're better at reading uh, aloud so would you uh Take which one of those you you were going for. Um, I am trying to find which one. Uh, yeah. Do you have the first one here? Did I'm I looking at the first notes? one. I don't know. Did I? <laughs> did you grab my notes? Um, because there's Cause, actually two. But yeah, well, right here, Piper uh, says first thing I would say to this uh, to this woman is the path to hope is not uh, the path of divorce. God can rescue sinners from disaster of divorce, but he warns us, let us not sin that grace may abound. A planned sin, or pla- sorry, planned sin is not accompanied by any promises of hope. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let n- not man separate. And the deepest reason for that prohibition of breaking marriage is that marriage was created by God 
from the beginning as a picture and expression of the covenant-keeping love of Christ and his church. So, it's you have a quote like that, mm-hmm. and first off, it's predicated on the idea that divorce in and of itself is sin, but in my mind, if you are legitimately seeking divorce, the sin is probably already all over this this relationship anyway. Mm-hmm. But to say that there's no hope in that, for him to say the only path to redemption is to stay in the marriage. Wait, wait, is he actually saying that salvation doesn't come through Jesus alone? That somehow through staying married through this works-based idea, we can actually be saved? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a whole nother tangent. You're now at that point you're you're I think you're going off track. But when he when he at the end when he says, you know, that it's supposed to be a picture of the covenant-keeping relationship of Christ and the church, that's you know, that that is true, but that's only true if we are living a marriage that is loving based on scripture and and is presenting a picture of faithfulness. Not I mean, but if you've got a husband who's addicted to pornography, who is sleeping around, it's not a picture of faithfulness. Right. And also, don't I mean, you want to put a weight on someone, tell them that what they're doing is misrepresenting the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to put some weight on someone. And so uh, uh, yeah, it becomes have... no, it becomes very prideful, uh, and, and I honestly, I had to repent for not getting a marriage. Uh, sorry, not getting a divorce sooner because of my pride, a- and it really was that in order to be a good Christian, then I had to stay in this marriage, and so that was it was a huge weight, and I didn't realize that I wasn't allowing God to to be my protector and be my salvation and be my support. It really was based in my marital status at this point. Mm-hmm. And it, it, all of the stuff gets wound up and twisted up with, within your theological th- framework, sorry, theological framework, which we all have one. And we don't realize it until we start picking these things apart. So, but no, and John Piper in that, in that quote makes some really interesting observations. And, and I want to go with that. I just want to touch one thing and then I want to talk about what he's quoting because he is quoting. They're from, um, I think it's Mark 10. And, but before we go there, I just want to make that point that in the Torah, which is the Jewish way of referring to the first five books of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is God's law to humanity. So we have to ask ourselves, if God includes the provision for divorce, did God make provision for sin? Is he approving of sin? And I know that in this in the section where Jesus uh, is being quoted, Jesus actually says something along the lines, um, Moses gave you the law because of the hardness of your heart. Mm-hmm. Now, to say that Moses gave them the law, that's very much in keeping with Jewish tradition. Uh, and we even talk about Moses giving the people the Ten Commandments. We aren't saying that God's not behind this law. Right. And so we need to remember, this wasn't just Moses going, hey, God, you forgot to include divorce, so I'm going to fill it in for you. That, that's not what happened. This is still very much what God had intended. That, now that you mention it, I do think that's kind of funny because people probably do think of it that way. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I've heard that, that, that this is, oh, Jesus didn't say God gave us this law. Jesus said Moses gave us that law. And, and is God going to allow Moses to go off script? And these are real questions that we have to ask ourselves. And so, anyway, Mark 10, and there is actually a second telling of this in Matthew. Um, 
And anytime there's two tellings of something, be sure and read both. Because when you have both to, to work with, then you're going to get some extra insights. And you know, just consider that an extra blessing uh, there that God decided to give us two different perspectives. I'm trying to remember which order my New Testament's in. So, Did you sing the song in your head? I did, a little bit, <laughs> since you know, Mark's only the second book. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mark includes the point that the Pharisees came to Jesus to, to test him. And this wasn't just, hey, we, we want to know what you think about divorce. We want to know if you actually know the law and how it was written. Because they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Of course it's lawful. We already talked about it. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Torah. It's part of God's law. So this is basically saying, hey, did you know it's illegal not to wear your seatbelt? I mean, it's that uh, yeah. same kind of common knowledge thing. Well, and I, and I think we've, we've touched on, uh, we've talked about this too, is that whenever the Pharisees go to test him, it's like you said, it's, it's to see if he knows his Torah but to also figure out uh, which camp he was in, because at this point you had several different groups. You had the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the Essenes, um, whatever was going on in Qumran that they still haven't figured out exactly <laughs> what that group was doing. Um, but apparently not having wild parties and whatnot. No, no spitting on sidewalks. Yeah. That's one of their laws. Yeah. And, and even the Pharisees, you know, were you, were you from the house of Hillel? Were you from the house of Shammai? Oh, yeah. Basically. Yeah, it breaks down even farther. Yeah. Where you were, basically they're asking there, are you a conservative or liberal? And it's probably what the Pharisees were trying to figure out because divorce was one of the major dividing factors of Hillel and Shammai and their viewpoints. And one of them said, um, you know, you can divorce your wife if she burns your toast. And, well, yeah. And, and we forget that that Judaism was broken down into these these smaller sects. And I, I think as much as I love Star Trek, I think that might be to blame because uh, a lot of times whenever they encounter a planet, usually what are they, they the whole planet's it's a monoculture. There's not, there's not a lot of diversity of thought within that group. Well, I think we, we view that. Um, we view Judaism, especially ancient Judaism, as being this monolith. And then we've got... Um, I, I think we even do that with Christianity and we do that with the world. I think it's just easier than to realize there's nuances in there and it makes us so much more responsible for having to think through various, uh, like I said, nuances. So exactly. And but, Sorry. no, that's okay. So, yeah, so they're really, they're wanting to know, are you on our side? Are you on their side? Uh, do we need to protect you because you are one of ours? Do we need to attack people because you aren't one of ours? And they're really looking for that political situation. And Jesus just, he does this great thing that he just flips these things on their head time after time. And it's great. So in keeping with Jesus' example, are you saying that maybe we should not neatly package ourselves to fit within a political party? Okay, now you're going off track. <laughs> I know I'm getting off track, but that just, I, it was a thought that I had. We're not going to get too far into politics because, you know, no. we would we would like to have some friends and we already talk about religion. So, um but that's just a thought. Um, There's actually a, a preacher at the church, Mickey and I are, are, are going to. Uh, he said that if you're if you're really following Jesus, you're going to upset everyone on the right and everyone on the left. Well, not everyone, but some people on each party. Well, this is the reason why all of our conservative friends thinks we're think we're liberals, and all of our liberal friends think we're conservatives. We we never quite fit because it, it is a matter of looking at each issue 
on a case by case basis. So, yeah, I, I and, think. And which level of analysis, too, because there's things that work on the small level, you know, that might work on the family level, might work on the, you know, neighborhood level, level might work in the community level. But whenever you get to city, can't, you know, it things things don't scale out always the same way. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, Are you saying there's not a theory of everything? And so we've gone from divorce to quantum math. <laughs> physics. No, 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 we can't go that far yet. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we're back on divorce. So they wanted to find out where Jesus was. Yeah. So, so this was basically the question and Jesus just said, you know, you don't get to define me. And I love it. And now here's my tangent. I'm not going to go off on because there's so many episodes in the Bible where God basically says, uh, uh-uh, uh, you don't get to f- define me. Yeah. And so Jesus says, you don't get to define me. It's a representation of Jesus as God. Uh, it's it's fabulous, but he goes on and he says, because of the hardness of the heart, he wrote you this commandment. He being Moses, the hardness of the heart. Basically, all divorce happens because somebody's heart is hardened. Right there, there is never a time that I've encountered, and you know maybe somebody has. I'm getting a divorce because my husband's so perfect. We get along great. Everything's what This is not why we get a divorce. We get a divorce because somebody is actively engaged in sin. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, putting the toilet paper on wrong or squeezing the toothpaste tube. I mean, we're talking about either there's selfishness, there's abuse, there is adultery. There is something happening that hurts the other person on a continual basis. This isn't a slip up. This is entrenched sin, active sin. And so we need to uh, realize that some people have a hard heart, and God did allow divorce because of this. Right. And so I think, you know, going back to the Malachi verse, when we start looking at things in context, now we've got to look at, you know, God didn't allow divorce. Uh, God doesn't so much hate divorce, but he really hates the reasons for divorce. Right. And that, that actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So um, the other thing, uh, you know, Jesus goes back, he references Genesis 3 about God making Adam and Eve and them clinging together. But he also makes this really interesting statement. He says, what therefore has God joined together? Let no man separate. And so now we have to ask a question. And for me, this is really how you get the most out of any Bible reading is ask the question. If God puts marriages together, are there some marriages that God doesn't put together? It, I think that depends on your worldview. Um, do you believe, and, you know, do you believe God controls absolutely everything, including sinful action? Um, that's a whole nother topic for another day. But, I mean, if, <laughs> if you believe that, you know, God is not uh, responsible for sin, and you have people who are marrying for the wrong reasons or marrying hastily, um, taking it lightly. Maybe that's not uh, maybe that's not a marriage that he brought together. Well, but that's I don't know. Well, did you want an answer? Or was that rhetorical? No, but no, you got that's, one. no. But I, I think okay. I think that's where we start when we read in the Bible. We start with okay, what do we know from observation and experience, and and that's good. And then I think we need to actually, how do we go into the Bible and find this. So I'm, I'm going to pull out a Bible story that I don't think a lot of us are familiar with in this context. And our first verse, uh, and this is the story really of Abraham and Hagar. And 
I want to start, it's kind of spread out. And so when you're reading Abraham's story, you kind of have to look for the threads that connect Hagar from chapter to chapter. And so the first mention of Hagar, it's not even actually her name. This is Genesis 12, verse 16. Now, this is the uh, famine, and Abraham and Sarah have gone down into Egypt. And so um, Abraham has that stellar moment as a husband where he passes his wife off as his sister. and Which is only half true. Yeah, which is only half true, yes. He, she was his half-sister. Yeah, uh, just, you know, overlooking the fact that she is also his wife. And evidently, Sarah was gorgeous. She's considered to be one of the seven most beautiful women in the ancient world. Uh, how they would figure that out, who knows. But the Pharaoh really liked her. Well, I think I think they probably speculate based on the fact that Abraham did this little trick not only once, but, but twice. twice. Yeah. <laughs> and then Isaac turns around and does it with Rebecca. So, you know, guys, um, wow. Anyhow, moving on. So this is, like I said, Genesis 12. And when they got to, to Egypt, the Pharaoh was so enamored with Sarah that he immediately wants to take her into his harem. And it says that the um, Pharaoh dealt very well with Abram because he was so enamored with Sarah. And so this is verse 16. I'm just going to read this one here. And it says, For her sake he dwelt well with Abram, and, ha- and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female serv- servants, female donkeys, and camels. So these were all given to Abraham kind of in exchange for Sarah. So then, of course, Pharaoh finds out. He kicks them out of Egypt. So now we're going to move forward to chapter 16. Now, God has already promised the idea that there's going to be an heir that's going to come through Sarah. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's getting impatient at this point because she thinks, hey, what's up? i got to help God out. And Sarah, this is verse 1 and 2. Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham, listening to the voice of, of Sarah, uh, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay. I'm going to pu- put a pause there. Because if you notice, Hagar is specifically identified as as the Egyptian servant. The Egyptian servant. So the Egyptian servant, where did she come from? Well, she was probably a gift from Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So now we have to think about who was Pharaoh in ancient cultures and context. He, he was the embodiment of, of, of Ra. Yeah, he's not just a guy. He is the living, breathing, tangible expression of an opposing God to the God of Abraham. And so now we have this, this woman who is a gift from this God in direct competition with the woman who is the gift from the true God. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can very clearly make this, this case that Abraham and Hagar's marriage was not of God. Right. And I should point out, because a lot of people, oh, well, she was just a concubine. The only difference between a wife and a concubine is that a wife had legal standing. A wife had, um, had gone through the formalities that she was married for 
political and financial gain. A concubine was married because it was convenient. She was useful in some way, just like Hagar could serve kind of as a surrogate. And so this was very common. It did not mean she was less of a wife to him, that fidelity was not involved, uh, a death to your part kind of promise was not involved. She is a wife. She just wouldn't have all of the legal backing uh, as far as being left behind or having the same stability that a wife would have because a wife would typically have family to protect her. Sure. So what I also think is very interesting, and I hadn't got to spring this one on you yet, this is a retelling of another story that happens previously. Okay. And it's the retelling. You want to take any guesses of what it could be? Uh, the only thing I can think of is, uh, well, hmm. nope. <laughs> We're still pretty it's, early. What else? What is there to retell? Yeah, well, uh, it's Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the woman saying, hey, here's an alternative to what God has commanded of you and expected of you. Okay, yeah. And this is more efficient. And then when you think about Pharaoh, when you imagine, just picture him, uh, Pharaoh in his finery, what's front and center on his headdress? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cobra. And so there's this, this great retelling where... We're looking at a woman, once again, trying to take matters into her own hands, subvert what God's doing. What's really interesting is in Genesis 3, God gets on to Adam and says, hey, because you listen to your wife, you, there, there's all these consequences. But if we go over to Genesis 21, when Sarah's had enough, she's gotten a clue, mm -hmm. she figures out she needs to listen to God and trust him to fulfill his promises— she says, I'm tired of Hagar. You need to kick her out. Mm -hmm. And you've got to notice what God says. This is tw uh, Genesis 21, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So in other words, at this point, God is actually saying that general principle of don't listen to your wife because there's bad consequences. I'm saying that's not a one size fits all. Right. There are times when your wife has got it together. You need to listen to her. And she's saying it's time to do this. So does God approve of divorce? Does he say this is okay for Abraham to engage in because it serves God's purposes? Um, hmm. No, that, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Or, or, or is he saying, you know, is he saying, you know, get rid of this, you know, get out of this relationship that you've gone into without my blessing. Right. And I think we need oh, to take man. those things. And you can go a hundred different ways with that <laughs> statement. Go ahead. Well, no, because it, it fits because then Paul goes on, you know, Paul's got some great writings on, you know, if you're married to a non-believer and they want to leave, then let them leave. Mm -hmm. And you're free. Free means free. Um, I'm trying to, okay. Yeah. It's first Corinthians chapter six through seven. Um, and, and that's very much something that we're taught about a lot. And I, I, we're and, but the thing is, so often in the church, it's taught you're free except to get remarried. Right. You're, it's only provisional freedom. You're still in, it's not really freedom. It's more probation. And <laughs> so. <laughs> right. And I think that's sad because I think it's, you know, I, I know uh, remarriage was something good for me and, and uh, being condemned to a life of singleness. Paul says it's not good to be single. Um, well, it's good to be single unless you can't. And some people can't. So but he says it's better to better to get remarried than to than to burn with passion is what he says. Um, 
Yeah. So take that for what you will. Yeah. Uh, and the other part that I, I'm just hitting this real quick, but the other part that's hitting there real quick, uh, First Corinthians seven, verse 14 for the believing husband is made holy because of the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise the children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I, I think we need to debunk that because that one gets hit, women get hit over the head with that a lot. Um, I'm sure men do too. Well, we don't need to debunk the verse, but maybe debunk uh, some right. of the interpretations because we're not here to debunk Paul. Right. No, no, we we have to agree with Paul because he was included in Scripture. And by the way, his words are not less important than Jesus' words. They're still included in this text, and it is a unit, and the right. whole thing was given. But this idea of being unclean, we're we are told to equate it with being sinful. And being unclean is not sinful. It, it it just means you aren't whole. And that some part of you that was uh, life-giving ha- has been taken from you. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's ever been involved with a divorce understands that's true. You, I saw something. Uh, no, I was just thinking, I was thinking about ceremonial laws and, and, uh, and just the way that that works out. So, yeah, not to get too much into it, but you know, you, Everyone wants to talk about, you know, menstrual mm-hmm. things. And uh, there's also uh, there's laws in there that if a couple has sex, they're considered ceremonially ceremonially unclean until the next day. Um, mm-hmm. They have to go, you know, they, have, they need to go wash themselves and they're ceremonially unclean until the next day. So that's that's very interesting. The idea that something life given is life giving has been taken from you. Putting in those contexts with the understanding of the ancient world's physiology and their their current or. I guess their contemporary scientific understanding. It's uh, it gets it, fascinating. It gets really interesting when you start putting it all together like that. You you can go down an entire rabbit trail, and, and the main reason I bring that up is just because all of us are going to experience something that makes us unclean, and you know whether it's divorce or what have you. That doesn't mean you're in sin. It, it might mean someone's sinned against you. And you know there was a a woman, very prominent uh, woman uh, in women's ministry, who got a divorce because her husband cheated on her uh, not that long ago. And I started getting emails: should she leave ministry? And all I could think was, if we make everyone leave ministry who's been sinned against, there's no one left. Right. And so you know there is a time that you you pull back for healing, but I mean, then you the- have to have pastors quit after their first month at most <laughs> chur- at, at many churches. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's the thing, because we we're all we we all live in a sinful world, and God. That's the great thing. Even in the ceremonial law, there's always provision to restore and renew and, and put people back into that covenant community. And I think that's one thing we as Christians we need to be working hard to put people back in that covenant community, and that includes people who have been divorced. Right. And I, but I want to go look at a passage, and this is probably it's on this my same page. Um right here in my Bible. And it's really interesting to me that it's included right before this passage on marriage and divorce. And it's, it's first Corinthians five. And I just want to read uh, verses three and five here. Uh, This is, this is Paul talking about church um, discipline. And he says for through, for though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, he's pronouncing judgment on a man who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. So, pretty severe situation going on. The bad situation going on, yeah, to begin with. Absolutely. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved 
in the day of the Lord. And so the destruction of the flesh, you're supposed to cut off relationship, deliver this guy into Satan. Why? Because he's doing something that's so heinous to God that he is not to be allowed to continue in fellowship. Now, this is a believer. I think we need to to clarify that. This is... Sure. Yeah, and Paul goes on, and this is verse 9 of that same chapter. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all means sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since you need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So there's this... There's this provision put in place that if somebody claims to be a brother, and if you look at those, the list of um, sins that Paul gives, these are the people that you divorce. These are the people who, you know, that reviler, uh, sexually immoral. And Paul says, you aren't supposed to associate with them unless you're married to them. And then if you're married to them, then you just have to tolerate it. No, yeah, I totally get like it. no. That's <laughs> not what it says there. Was, but that's sorry, how we I read was, it. I was looking at the notes, so I was kind of half listening. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that that's how we read it, though. I mean, that's how it's presented. We don't present this. Well, number one, we don't present this passage very often in church. Uh, number two, we definitely don't apply it to marriage. And so, if you're married to someone who is engaged in these activities, he's been you know you've confronted that person. Uh, you possibly taken the church elders or family members have confronted this person, and they are still actively engaged in these behaviors, then it's time to sever relationship, and you you turn them over to Satan. Uh, I think of it as getting out of the way and giving God a clean shot. And yeah. you know, well, <laughs> well, that's that's a, that's a, that's an extreme. Uh, I haven't heard you heard heard you say that. That's funny. It's an extreme uh, analogy there. So, but yeah, a couple things, um, you know, because we have uh, lost track and we have gone out of our way uh, to to make staying married the ultimate priority, which really, I think it's funny that so many people say, well, staying married is not about staying in love. And no, you're, no, no couple is going, you know, very few couples are going to maintain that, you know, newlywed feel. Um, no matter how good your relationship is, you're going to have some times when you're just there. And um, I mean, unless you're, you're just on a whole nother level and then... In that need, case, come teach us. Come teach us. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that, that being said, I've, I think I have a really, really good marriage. And I, again, I do, I do want to say thanks. Uh, <laughs> I, think I, I think I mentioned this in one of the other episodes we record, that we recorded that's coming out later. You know, thanks to my wife, who has been very supportive of this whole process and getting everything launched off the ground, uh, all the technical issues and the fact that you were supposed to be in for one weekend, we were supposed to get recording for the month done, and then we had technical issues, and then you've been in every weekend this month instead of one, um, which we love having you here, but man, it's been stressful. But, you know, but I think if it's to the point where the love has died, to the point where there's like I think you've said this, uh, you and I were talking once, and you called it you know to the point where it's emotional abandonment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that person's already checked out and left the covenant arrangement anyway. And- well, you know, one of the things that we say, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's very interesting that we say, "Oh, well, Christians can get divorced for adultery." 
And this is biblical. This is what we're taught. But the thing is, under biblical law, if you were caught in adultery, you didn't get a divorce. You got stoned. Yeah. So and- there, there has to be a provision for divorce for another reason other than adultery. Right. And I, I, this tells me that it doesn't have to be that offense and that offense alone that would cause us to seek this out as a means of escape. And so, uh, now obviously today, divorces are only out. Uh, but uh, emotional abandonment. And we see this a lot with couples where there's a pornography addiction, uh, where the husband's a workaholic. Um, this could also be a wife who, who won't pull her face out of Facebook, uh, you know, not to get too real, but there's, there's things that, that can happen. And I think we need to try to work through those if we can, but if they're not being addressed and nobody's making a move to, to reconcile and really if both parties aren't making a move to reconcile and restore the relationship, now we're looking at something that either might need professional intervention like marriage counseling, mm-hmm. or this is, it might be time to, to call it quits. And I, I don't think anyone can tell you when that point is. Right. And, and we're not saying that, you know, we're not just saying, oh, get a divorce if you're unhappy. You know, I think we should do everything we can within reason, uh, within reason to preserve the marriage because we can get to the point where we do make marriage the idol to the point that uh, we do put people in danger. And um, like you said, you know, you were, you were in a physical altercation with your ex-husband where you almost died. Um, And, you know, it's, and it's very frustrating because we think, oh, well, surely no one's giving people advice to stay in a marriage where abuse is, is present. And I beg to differ because this is, um, Oh, did you find that quote? I found the quote. I think this is the one you were looking for earlier. Yes. There is a quote uh, from John Piper. Has been pulled from his website. The audio has been preserved on another site, um, which we will link to in the show notes. And now he did print uh, a quote clarifying article on this, which basically... Uh, Go ahead. It, I think you can be more gracious. I don't know. I, I think he didn't quite get the point of his detractors. Um, to I, be, that was gracious that way, you know, to be polite. Um, but, uh, here's the quote. Um, and now this was in response to a woman asking about abuse and, um, also, um, I think this one was just about abuse. Um, you know, what happens if you're in a physical abuse and the problem, and I'm going to start this, the problem I have with his answer is he answered it very he answered it very coldly and academically and i realize you can't you can't address every single issue from the get go i mean you, you don't know everything but i guarantee you the person writing this question probably was not doing this for an academic paper right and so his advice is uh his his statement on his is this if it's not requiring her to sin but simply hurting her comma, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked one night and then seeks help from the church. There is a list of problems with that response. And this bothers me so much because we're probably talking, he's probably responding to, to a woman who wrote this question, and his advice is take this man to the church. To, and if if it's a guy who if if it's a guy who's abusing his wife, he either one does not 
care what the church has to say about what goes on in his marriage, or two, he believes that there's something in the Bible that gives him the right, and possibly the church believes there's something in the Bible that gives him the right to treat his wife that way, and that is not okay. No. And I'm going to say, you know, I can't, I, I can't rescue everyone, but I will say my advice, if, if, if your spouse assaults you, call the police and get him taken away. Right, because this advice is actually dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it is flat out dangerous because this season of verbal abuse, that's probably been going on for years or it's been going on for several months mm -hmm. to condition her to accept being smacked. Yeah, when for it night. finally gets to that point, because that's the problem with the, the abusers is it, like you said, it's been going on for a while. It's been building and building to the point where in the, the oftentimes in the mind of the abused person, it's their fault and they deserved it. So if, if this gets reported to you as a pastor and you do not call the police and help that woman find help, a safe place. Yeah. Cause that's the other reason a lot of abuse, abuse victims don't think they have a safe place to go. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they are financially, uh, they're destitute reliant. because abusers control the money. And so the, we have got to get better as a church one at believing women when they come forward, believing that we need to obey the laws of the land because it is illegal mm -hmm. to uh, to hit well anyone, mm -hmm. you know, out you know to to assault somebody. It's illegal. And then your spouse. Let's get real. Let's stop this. The church has it cannot be covering up abuse, um, and and whenever whenever you make marriage such such an idol at that point that you're willing to sacrifice the safety of not only women. There are men who are abused by their spouses physically. It's it's more rare, but uh, you definitely are putting someone in some danger. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop doing this because. Whenever you say divorce cannot be an option, mm -hmm. then anything that happens inside that marriage is okay. It's got to be tolerated. It has to be tolerated. And to say that, that you're destroying the image of the church by letting someone stay in a violent, by, by not allowing someone to leave a place where their life is in danger, that is counter to everything that, that God is about. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting because these women, you know, I, I keep going back to women because that's who who I work with. Um, they're told things like, "You be more submissive. You need to pray harder. You need to have more faith." I was told I needed to be more sexually available to my husband. So you get these these wonderful bits of advice that tell the victim, "Hey, you're in control of the fact that he abused you," mm -hmm. and, and that is such. It messes with your mind. It messes with your mind because now I'm being told I can stop this, but everything I'm doing is just seeming to make it worse because mm -hmm. that's what happens with abusers. We aren't talking about somebody that, oh, maybe, you know, your husband was having a bad day and you did something that irritated him more and he snapped at you. We're talking about somebody who who enjoys the psychological kind of just trauma that they can inflict on a person. Right. And churches don't recognize this guy. And, you know, I, I want to bring this up too. That when I got married, I married a man who taught Sunday school class with me and played piano for our, the church we attended together. Right. 
I, I was not marrying somebody who looks like an abuser because abusers don't look like abusers. If they do, they're very bad at it. Right. And everything I endured was because I was groomed. And part of that grooming, unfortunately, came from the church. He was not working alone. And that's that's sad. Right. And and just uh, real quick to maybe kind of make it a positive, maybe end on a more positive note, um, because I did see that um, growing up and I, you and I talked a lot about that because we do talk all the time about all kinds of random stuff and that comes up. But because we talked about that before I got married, you know, that was one of the things that I knew I have to work on my marriage mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, I can't let myself just let things go. Um, and that, you know, it, it takes time. It takes courage. Sometimes you have to talk about stuff you don't want to talk about. But one of the things that has always, when I am feeling like, you know, because you get in those times where you get stressed out and I have not ever once thought I'm done with this, but I have had the, I've had the thought, I choose to be here. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. And that has has saved my way of thinking a lot is that I choose to be here and I want to continue to choose to be here because I do love my wife. And one of the, one of the things that Mickey uh, and I, I don't remember which one of us said it first, but was that, you know, we have to work on our marriage because we we don't believe divorce is a good thing. Um, and till death do us part is a long time to just be miserable. Mm-hmm. And and we say that kind of tongue in cheek, but knowing that, you know, I'm the one who chooses to be here and I'm the one who's going to continue to choose to be here um, is 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 powerful because it 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 puts responsibility on me to make the marriage better. And not that I, you know, I don't hold divorce over Mickey's head. She doesn't hold it over my head of like, oh, this is what's going to happen if you don't do your part. I don't think that's ever really entered our minds in any other kind of discussion than what we're having right now right so you know there can be good things come out of hearing these stories that you can have a positive impact on your marriage on a future marriage if you take those things into account and that you realize marriage is not just automatic it doesn't fix everything immediately and the two pieces of advice i give to uh you know and to to people who are getting married and as I get older, I'm running into fewer people who are getting married, so it's great fewer weddings that I uh, have to go to. Um, which actually, I don't mind weddings, but no. Anyway, it's it just depends on it depends on whose ma- wedding because there are some people, man. I'm looking at this going, who how how can you afford all this? Why are you taking up all of my Saturday night? I had plans to be at home, you know, because uh, I am. <laughs> I'm turning into an old crotchety old man. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. But I, I tell people that marriage is not what everyone tells you it is. Be- it, it, first off, it's not what you think it is because you can't be prepared for it until you're there. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. And there's all kinds of surprises. Even you, know, me and my wife, we're coming up on 10 years uh, in December and there's still things that are surprising, and especially when you throw kids in the mix, there's surprises every day. Um, but um, yeah, why? <laughs> How did the carrots get behind the toilet? Um, you know, questions like that. Um, but 
you know, I tell people it's not what you think it is. Nothing can prepare you for it. It's, it's not what everyone tells you, what everyone else tells you it is because it's not their marriage. Every marriage is unique. Every marriage is different. Um, you know, me and my wife, we have a very unconventional arrangement, uh, employment, employment wise, um, is that, you know, I'm, I'm working on my book and podcast stuff. And also I help take care of the kids. So she works more and I take care of the kids a little more than most, uh, most husbands. She works a little more than most women do. And we, we feel at peace about it. We've prayed through it and we, it works. Yeah. It very much works for you guys. And I love the fact, you know, as much as they drive me nuts, I get to spend a lot of time with the kids. The second piece of advice. Uh, so, you know, the, the first piece is it's not what you think it is. It's not what everyone else tells you it is. The, the second. So that's one piece. The second piece of advice I give is as long as you are willing to understand that person is going to grow and change. And that you are going to grow and change. But you both get to influence in what direction you grow and change and you grow and change in the same general direction. Then your marriage is going to get better and better. Mm-hmm. And again, you have seasons where it's not peak optimal but i still think (laughs) i think uh you know years year nine and ten or or year eight and ten i think on a on a bad day i think there were was better than some of the the bad days in the first couple years Mm -hmm. Uh, not that we had a bad marriage but it's like the security gets deeper the the trust gets deeper the understanding gets better. And so, yeah, it gets better uh, if you are willing to work on it, but you have to be willing to work on it. Um, so there's that. Um, we have some resources we want to throw out here. Absolutely. Um, first off, a shameless plug for Emily's book, Scandalous Things Good Christian Girls talk Don't Talk About But Probably Should. Um, you can find that on Amazon. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And feel free to join us on Facebook, uh, our scandalous group, just for the women. Sorry, guys. Um, But if you want to ask some questions, am I an abusive marriage? Uh, Is this abuse? What's going on? Join us. We are a safe place to talk about it. Um, Jeff Crippen? Is that Crippen? I think so. I haven't actually talked to him personally. Uh, Unholy Charade and A Cry for Justice are his... There's two books. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's two books, not not a subtitle. Um, So Unholy Charade... And Cry for Justice, also on Amazon, I assume. Also on Amazon, yes. I, I've not read those yet. I'll need to borrow yours. Oh, and then we do recommend those, even if you aren't in a, an abusive marriage. If you are uh, in church leadership, read these books because they are going to help you see past the facade of an abuser. Because right, and don't they talk more than uh, about more than just marital abuse? Don't they also talk a little bit about um, clergy and uh, like just spiritual abuse? Uh, Some of that uh, is not as big focus, but they they do go into that and they talk about how abusers hide in the church, pretty much. So right. Then we have um, was it divorce divorce dash remarriage dot com? Is that mm-hmm. the the website? And that is David Instone Brewer Instone hyphen Brewer. And he has a book by the same name, Divorce and Remarriage, in the Bible, uh, also available on Amazon. Yep. And, and we will put those, uh, we'll put all that in the show notes so you can find it. Um, if you have questions, um, again, ladies, feel free to hit up Scandalous. Men, uh, we don't have a site for you on that. I don't feel like moderating one. Um, I'm just going to be honest. So, um, but if you do have questions, um, hit us up on uh, Facebook, Am- uh, no, not Amazon. We're not, you can't contact us on Amazon. Um, 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, RavenCreekSC.com. No, yeah, that's our website. Uh, but Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Raven Creek SC is our handle on all those where you can find us. Raven Creek SC can also take you to all of those places where you can also find uh, other news and updates, which will be coming. Uh, it's still under construction. And feel free to write us review on, where are we at? iTunes? Yeah, we're on iTunes. And, and leave us a comment on YouTube. Hit subscribe. Hit subscribe and uh, subscribe on, uh, on iTunes as well. If you really, really like what you heard, uh, want to hear some more, patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. We are gathering uh, the perks for listeners. Well, not as we speak, because we're recording right now. But it's happening, and it will be there. In the near vicinity of what we're doing. In the near vicinity of the future. Um, That being said, um, thanks for joining us. Um, Don't forget to join us next time as we talk to uh, Joe Zaragoza from uh, Drinking at Bible Study. Thanks. Have a good time. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.